Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, we talk about four different types of freedom, time, financial location, health freedom. And today's episode is going to be all about emotional freedom. So I'm always interested in interviewing people that have um, gone through a lot and survived in resiliency and share those messages with the world. So today we have um, Sandy Johnson, and she's coming to us from Australia. And today is going to be talking all about um, surviving trauma, letting go of wounds, healing wounds, moving forward, um, recognizing toxicity and how to avoid it and what to do. So um, I'll let Sandy introduce herself. Sandy, welcome. Thanks so much, Chris, for having me on your lovely podcast. Um, yeah, I'd love to just share some of my background. We've all got a, a story to tell. You know, life is certainly full of its challenges and, you know, some of those things you, you can have a bit of foresight with and other things you, you gain a lot of wisdom from in hindsight when you look back and, and you can assess the types of things that you've experienced and see how they've impacted and see what it was that you needed to address to come to a place of healing and wholeness. So um, so I'm a mother of four children and um, I feel very fortunate to have had four children. But three of those children were born into an abusive relationship. If somebody would have said to me at the beginning when I saw those telltale sign that person being I guess you know I, I like to look at abusive behaviors as being really unhealthy behaviors and uh, if I would have seen the warning signs or the danger signs in some of the behaviors that were happening at the very get-go of that relationship um I might not have those three children I guess because I perhaps would have made some wiser choices not to actually form a relationship with that person. Mm. Um, so that's the wisdom I've gained from, you know, hindsight. And mm. and I guess abuse is one of those things where there's it's not black and white. When you talk about physical abuse, it's generally not something that's just physical abuse. There's usually a lot of psychological abuse that goes hand in hand with that. And there are some uh, people who experience um, abuse who are never subjected to physical abuse. And so I would put myself into that category of uh, being somebody who has never, never hit, never um, it's not as though I wasn't threatened. It's not as if I uh, wasn't held back in an argument and um, forced to stay where I was and not let go. 
Um, and it's not as if I, I didn't have any ex experiences of that person putting their hands around my throat now in, in an argument. And that's not to say I didn't see that as being physical abuse. So it's very, you know, as I said, the lines are really blurred and um, marred and it's really hard to distinguish clearly. And I think that's one of the the reasons why many women do that is one of the contributing factors to them staying in these abusive relationships because of the intimidation because of you know those who understand abuse understand that it's um about power and control and um it's about disempowering the other person and putting them in this disempowered position so that they're unable to navigate away from that relationship so that's the the place that i found myself in and i tried uh, for years to actually break away from that person that i was in a relationship with and there were drugs involved in with that person had a drug addiction mm -hmm. um and he was a stalker i had i understood nothing absolutely nothing about stalking and at, at the time that I was in a relationship with him and when I said at the get-go that there were signs that there were behaviors that were unhealthy one of those things was his obsessiveness his jealousy um, wanting to keep just very close tabs on me and what I was doing and where I was going and who I was seeing and um there would be occasions where you know we might be walking down the street together he would leer at anybody who was passing by us who was, it happened to be male and might have happened to give me a look up and down as many people do when they just passing by <laughs> people we we you know can't help but observe things you know in our path and he would have a very over-the-top reaction to somebody who just happened to to look at me to the point where it wasn't just him glaring at that person but it was also him saying really disparaging things to that person and it was very embarrassing for you know that person and and also for myself I just in those moments I really wished that the ground would just open up and uh, and swallow me because I was just so embarrassed by what he was doing because it was so unnecessary just completely unnecessary is there something that you wanted to oh. ask me? Yeah, yeah. It's very um what's what's interesting because it, it all center around centers around trauma. And uh what's interesting is um so it could be relationship, but uh I've also noticed it in parenting because uh especially manipulative parenting, you know, pushing your kids in my case it was my parent my parents pushing me into a career into medicine so that I could live what they missed. So, and then, and then the whole toxic culture of, you know, corporations and all that. So it's very similar, but it's, you know, it's just a different context, but um, you know, what's interesting is I'm talking to you and usually when you talk to, you know, people that survive emotional trauma abuse is they have this heaviness, you know, this heaviness, that energy, but you're actually, you're uh you it seems like you move move past it so um which we'll get into a little bit later how you did that but but we're talking about just emotional trauma so just 
And uh, what's interesting is that um, with these sort of uh, patterns, it's like um, once you get clear clear about who you are and your boundaries, you don't seem to attract these types of uh, either narcissistic or you know bullies, you know that sort of thing. So tell us more about that. So yeah, that's a, that is an absolutely fundamental key to breaking free and uh, keeping that safe distance. So I'll just say that my situation it felt like death by a thousand cuts to me. That's the analogy that mm. I draw upon because it, there wasn't anything that I could do to get away from that. But it what and it wasn't anything that was looked like it was going to be fatal inside I felt like I was dying because Mm. it it was just one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing and I couldn't get myself to a safe distance away from the things that were sabotaging my life that were destroying my life I had no control because I had no boundaries in place and I had no idea how to actually create a boundary and that's a really challenging thing for anybody who's in an abusive relationship to try and create a boundary because once you do try and create a boundary and I made many attempts to create boundaries that then changes the dynamic of power and control Mm. and so if you are going to do something to try and get back some of your personal power again, the other person will up the ante, Mm -hmm. disempower you again. So what happened for me, because it was largely um, gaslighting, psychological abuse and stalking behaviours, financial abuse, sexual abuse, there are a lot of different abuses that were happening in my relationship, but I wasn't getting physically harmed as in I wasn't being beaten okay Mm. so so for me I didn't know who to turn to for support the people who were closest to me were not equipped with the right experience to know how to support me and also didn't were very reluctant to become too closely involved because they would then become entangled and their lives would then you know become very stressful, fraught, you know, them then having fears that my ex-partner would start sabotaging their lives as well. Mm. So I was somebody who was was in the too hard basket. My children were attending a childcare centre and one of the people who worked at that childcare centre was a police officer and she was a mum of... uh, two young girls that were attending that same childcare centre. Now, you know what it's like. Parents will just have that five-minute conversation before they, you know, go off and in their different directions to do what they've got to do. And I happened to have a few conversations with her and she could see I was just absolutely run ragged. She could just see stress written all over me. I was, you know, so thin from all the stress and I was just jittery and hyper, you know, all the time because I just was not feeling safe at all. I was always, I had anxiety was just consuming me nonstop. And we just had a few conversations and the things that I was sharing with her, she was picking up on and she said, 
you really need some help. You're in an abusive relationship. She said, you can come to the police and we will help you. Mm. And so I sat with that for a little while. I didn't act on it straight away because I was very scared of what might come after me taking some action because my ex-partner was like a maverick and he had always managed to stay two steps ahead of the law. So he was just got away with everything and was not being held accountable. And this is the thing about narcissists is narcissists do not want to take any responsibility for anything that they do. Mm. And so they definitely don't want to be held accountable. So they're very slippery. They know how to, you know, find the gaps and get through the gaps and avoid ever being held accountable. So I knew that if I involved the police that I was taking a very serious step with him and I had no idea what would come next if I did take that action. But I was at absolute desperation point. I didn't know, you know, what to do and I just didn't know how I was going to continue on because I think what I had been doing to that point was I was trying to manage an unmanageable situation and I was doing my very best to do that, but I that was a coping mechanism for me. Mm. I had to do that. That was a survival tactic for me was just to tell myself it's going to be okay. Somehow it's going to be okay. I'm going to figure this out. Mm. Um I was never going to be able to break away from that person because his stalking behaviours um, were just so serious that he was never going to give me any space. So I did involve the police. I involved the court. I got a restraining order in place. And that was the point where things did escalate as I had feared they would. Mm. And he came around, he was not supposed to come, you know, within 200 metres of me or he was not supposed to come within, you know, 500 metres of my home or workplace or the children's school. So I'd set up a very clear legal boundary to try and give myself and the children a buffer from his abusive behaviour. It was like he was just ticking off the terms of the intervention order breaching each single term and so he came and um, just insisted on having a conversation with me um, and trying to manipulate his way back into the relationship again as he'd done many many times in the past. I stood my ground even though I was just a nervous wreck on the inside I just quietly stood my ground and I said you and I are never going to be in a relationship ever again, but you can still be a father to your children. And to which he answered me, no us, no kids. So he was threatening me. That mm-hmm. um, at that time when he said that, I thought that he was just spitting the dummy where he was just throwing a tantrum as he did a lot of the time to get his way. That was one of the ways that he would manipulate his way back in. And and so I just thought, yeah, look, he hasn't said that before, but he's probably just saying it as a threatening 
tactic and I'll just carry on. But 10 days later, I came home, I'd come home from work, picking up the kids from their school bus and came home and I opened the front door and the kids said, mummy, what's that funny smell? And I said, that's gas. I said, get back from the house. The house was absolutely heaving with gas. And what he'd done is he'd broken a gas pipe underneath our stovetop. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a heater that was a fluid heater that went up to the roof and it was a gas heater. And there was a pilot light on that heater, obviously, to light the, the gas. The front casing of that um heater flame was broken and so it was an open flame with gas and um i later found out that the mix of the gas the flame and the burst of oxygen through the door was supposed to trigger an explosion so Mm -hmm. the intention was to blow the house up the intention was to do away with me and the children so that that was my turning point and i've never been confronted in that way before where it was just alarmingly obvious that I was not safe and the children were no longer safe. So we were not physically safe anymore. And um, and that was a big shift for me. And that was the point where I was really engaged with um, domestic violence services and they reached out to put me and the children into refuge. We didn't at that time. Then pursuant to that, that he was never held accountable for that because the police could not gather enough evidence to hold to press charges for that event. But there were enough. Um, I had it had become a full time job for me almost, where I was documenting all the breaches to the intervention order, which was really pivotal for the police to be able to gather enough evidence to be able to take that evidence to court to be able to actually hold him accountable for the things that he did. So many times um, victims will get restraining orders out against their abusive partners, but they won't uh, report breaches, which really makes that order just a piece of paper that holds no weight in court so it's a really hard thing to to do all that documenting of um, evidence as it go as you go along and experience when you're in this traumatized hyper vigilant state um that you know, if you you would know as a doctor, your mind is not in a calm place, is not in an ordered place where you're able to sit down and work through things methodically. You're you're very you're very scattered. You're very you know you're just in survival mode, and that's where I found myself for a considerable amount of time, until the police had gathered enough evidence, they were able to remand hold him in remand for three weeks until the hearing and that was my opportunity to break away and I packed up our house and um, I was fortunate enough to find a rental property which was about six hours away from where we were currently living. I changed my name, I changed the children's name and we tried to make a fresh start but I was in a very traumatised state because had been all this this trauma that I had been through was still fresh and it was not only my trauma but it was also my children's trauma you know how do you reconcile 
as a child that your father wants to do away with you. Um, so, you know, my heart was just breaking into a million pieces for my children that they had to go through that, um, let alone negotiating all of those survival things that I needed to go negotiate to keep us safe, keep that basic level of having a roof over our heads, reintegrating the kids into a new school um, and all of the things that are just parts of what we take for granted as being um, everyday rights in our society. So um, so I, I look at it as um, almost like a, an act of terrorism that um, happens in abusive relationships when they escalate to that point. Um, leading up to that, it is also that because it's basically one person is terrorising another person into a place of fear and just ongoing trauma. You said, I, you know, speaking to me now, you, I'm not weighted down by all of that trauma that um, I've been through. And that I've given you a very, very brief overview of what was a long-term abusive relationship um, instance of fleeing was the first of two instances where I had to, to flee from him because he did track us down mm -hmm. um, after serving some time in jail. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, I, because I am fairly good with communicating, um, I was able to advocate for myself in a way that many victims aren't able to advocate for themselves. And I was fortunate that when I came before the court and it was time for me to put in a fresh application for a new restraining order, magistrate was very common sense and she could see that we were dealing with a recidivist offender and that the children and I really deserved to have the court's support to provide us with some peace in our lives so that we could have an opportunity of healing and recovering and reintegrating back into having a normal life again. So that magistrate granted us an indefinite intervention order, which meant that until the year 2060, my ex-partner, I've got this legal boundary in place that that person cannot come into contact with us and the children don't, once they've turned 18, don't have to go back to the courts and make fresh applications and negotiate having a new intervention order. So I believe that, you know, the hard work that I put in paid off and, but it was, you know, on one hand it was hard work and the other hand it was good luck. So it was both those things working together to create that boundary it eventually worked and it only worked after he served two stints in jail and he basically resolved that he did not want to go back to jail um, because ultimately I'm not in control of him. I'm not in control of what he does or doesn't do. He had to be the one to come to his own conclusions about what he was going to do moving forward, whether he was going to continue on this path of stalking us or whether he was going to pull back and give us that um, distance that the courts had said that he needs to do. Mm, interesting. 
I know um I'm not sure the well it's interesting is uh how can very interesting conversation and you know congratulations you know breaking free and you know it's all about you know and uh how can people follow you visit your website um um and contact you sure so I have a podcast myself it's called tiaras tears and triumphs and that podcast is there as a a safe place for women who are impacted by abusive relationships to Mm. get some support with the challenges that they're facing Uh, I have many conversations with survivors from all over the world and it really helps to illuminate what those red flags are in relationships. So it's quite educational and um, contains a lot of really useful information for people who are impacted by abuse. But having said that, you know, I think that one of my own learnings from this experience that I've gone through is that I had a victim mentality and that is something that I needed to break free from um, as well as learning to create healthy boundaries around myself and around my children and stop being a yes person that says Mm. yes to everything um, and being there to try and make everybody else happy. I now am very good, especially after having four children, at learning to say no, (laughs) just no, you're not going to get a yes to everything you ask for. That's just part of life. And I'm okay with that. I'm really, really happy to say no these days. So, but one of the things that I had to learn is that I was actually coming from this place of, um, I think I adopted it as a child. And I think as you pointed out very early on, these things can often um, come to us where, you know, our ideologies and philosophies or, you know, the our maybe our lens, the lens that we look at the world through is formed in those formative years as as children. Mm. And so I um, haven't even gone into this and I'm not going to go into this in depth, but I, I came into the world with some congenital abnormalities and that um, made me, I, I guess, quite feel, feel quite helpless. And so I had this learned helplessness that I developed through life. And so I had this expectation that somebody else needed to come in and rescue me. So mm. I needed to retrain myself and learn that actually I was really good at rescuing myself. I did an absolutely amazing job of rescuing myself and rescuing my children from a situation that became life-threatening for us and I negotiated some really complex challenges that I needed to start looking at life through a different lens and that of course, I've engaged in a lot of therapy. So that's my primary message is just put your safety first, closely followed by your sanity and um, know that everything, no matter how complex the challenges that you're facing in life, can be figure outable, especially when you're tapped into the right support, the right people who have the skills to be able to help you. Doctors, of course, are a fantastic place to start for anybody who is experiencing any kind of um, thing in their life where they're needing support. And if it's a domestic violence situation, speaking to your doctor is a very, very good place to start. Excellent. Yes, and thanks so much for um, and for all the listeners out there. Um, 
Sandy's resources will be in the links and show notes. Be sure to check out her podcast and um, be sure to connect with her on social media. And thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you really enjoyed that wonderful, inspirational, motivational piece. Again, if you, wherever you are listening, if you liked it, be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe. We're on everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon, Audible. And without much ado, be sure to thank this show's sponsors, and we'll see you next week.